HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour, presented by Le Creuset. I'm Dana Cowan, and today we're broadcasting live from the HRN Podcast Lounge at Feast Portland. We want to thank our sponsors, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. So I'm incredibly excited to have with me Naomi Pomeroy. Naomi, welcome. Hi, thanks. So um, all Portlanders and all people who love to eat know Naomi probably from Beast and maybe the expatriate, Bar Across the Street, and her incredible book, the title which is like long. Just taste and technique. Okay. But yeah, a lot of T <laughs> words and long words, yes, taste long and technique. Term. But it was, it's a beautiful book. Um, that is both coffee table and you can actually use it. So I recommend everybody check that out. And I'm just so excited to be here with you. Naomi, I've known you for so long. Yeah, at least 10 years. At least, but I feel more, like... More, more. More, because I think you had ju- you were had a catering company when we first met. Yeah. And you have an ex-partner. I mean, it was a long, sure. it was a long time ago. That's a whole nother podcast. It is another podcast. A long story. I mean, in yeah. fact, I love those kinds of stories. Me too. Okay. Should we talk about that? Sure. Why? Uh, I don't uh, care. Okay. Talk about whatever you want. Um, so tell me about your first foray into, co- I mean, cooking aside from when you were three years old, because we know that's really when it began. Yeah. I mean, aside from cooking with my family, you know, um, I kind of accidentally fell into cooking professionally. I I went to India um, and I had to do a research project for college and I decided to um, research and write a paper on Indian home cooking. 
Um, so I kind of followed people into their homes. Very, very generous uh, community of people that will just invite you over. If you go, to, if you've ever been to India, they'll just invite you over to your, their house. Like, and you uh, just said yes. Stranger. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I'd always asked to go into the kitchen, and I ended up making sort of a research paper out of it and realized that my passion was so strongly rooted in, in cooking that I... I did finish college. I have I have a history degree from Lewis and Clark, um, but after that, I realized I, I didn't want to be a history professor or uh, necessarily kind of go on and get a PhD or whatever you do when you get a history degree. So I ended up um, starting a catering company out of my basement when I was 22, and um, yeah, I, I fell into it really. And uh, and it was immediately successful. Yeah, I mean, I I do think, you know, I feel, maybe I feel bad in a way for people who are just starting out now because the market is saturated compared to how it was back then. I mean, um, I really consider my career kind of starting around 2000 when we first did our our first underground uh, supper in our in our house. Basically, we built out a big long table and, and um, that was before the word pop-up even existed, right? So... Is there, were, there's nobody that doesn't know what a pop-up is now, and people probably go to them once a week or whatever. Um, they're everywhere. But we kind of had a lot to do with that beginning movement, and that's sort of what launched my career. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's how I ended up meeting you. It is. It's, yeah. it's, so Food & Wine found Naomi when she w- had this, like, cool thing where she was feeding people at home. And we're yeah. like, that's... A, and, and actually, their food was spectacular. So it was... Thank you. Partly it was cool. Yeah. And, and partly, like, the food was amazing. And you didn't have... Um, training per se. No, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of chefs will tell, you know, it, when, when kids come up to us and ask us about culinary school, I mean, I'm sorry if any of you guys are culinary school students, but a lot of us will say, just go and get life experience um, or whether you're doing it, like just kind of figuring it out on your own. I mean, the internet was just sort of happening then. So we weren't, it wasn't as easy to just go on like chef steps or whatever and yeah. figure out how to do <laughs> stuff. Um, I, I read uh, cookbooks voraciously. Um, and so I have a certain kind of, of culinary training that's sort of uh, developed on my own. But but more than anything, it, it got developed sort of because it had to. Like, you know, I started, you you tapped my shoulder for Best New Chef in 2009, um, which, you know, we fast forwarded for, through a bunch of stuff right there. But um, <laughs> you know, there was a bunch that happened in those nine years. But, you know, I, I always sort of, I think, put the cart before the horse in a way. Um, and I that's worked well for me as a strategy, you know, sort of just like throw the fishing line out, see what happens, reel it in and get the experience as, as you need it. It's just kind of about being resourceful, I think. All right. So I, um, I'm curious what you think of like the pop-up movement. You, when you say like I was among the first, like you really were among the first in the entire country. Do you feel like it's gone too far? Do you think it's awesome? Like, what do you think all these years later? I think it's like, again, I guess I go back to what I said earlier about maybe feeling a tiny bit sorry for people who are trying to do it right now. Cause I think, you know, the market is so saturated. If you're trying to get your name out by having a pop-up now, it just isn't the same as it was probably in the year 2000 because there just weren't as many names out there, right? And, and Portland in particular has become this like hub of food insanity, as we all know. And we, we all get to reap the benefits of that um, as customers. But as 
as people in the industry, in some ways it, it creates a market that's relatively saturated. Um, so I don't have a particular opinion about pop-ups. I as mean, a general proposition. You know, okay. I'm thinking more like, uh, what's it? What's I have more of a question. Like, what's it like to have a pop-up in the year 2019? Uh -huh. um, I'd like to ask those Somebody people else. that have <laughs> pop-ups about that. Um, I'm glad I don't have a pop-up anymore. I'm glad I work. Um, you know, out of a, a restaurant instead of out of my kitchen at home now, though. I will say that. Yeah. So um, there's I have so many questions for you. So in some of those years, like one of the things that's happening right now, like pop-up is something that's happening, but another thing that is happening right now is the like a gigantic sobriety movement. Oh, yeah. Or like a growing sobriety movement. Totally. And you're absolutely on the record for saying there were some very hard-charging um, hard drinking years in yes, there. Yes, I, I am on full honesty. I love I love just like talking real with people about like what the business is like, what it's been like, what it's been like journey for me. Um, and I've I've gone on record many times. I wrote an article for Eater about it um, last summer, um, sort of about a little bit about me too and sort of the restaurant business and like how, what my role was like in sort of figuring out how I wanted it to be in my community, you know, my direct community, my staff, um, and my family, really. Um, but, but ultimately, I think it's like the the movement. And I talked about this. I actually talked a little bit earlier at a Bone Up thing about it too. I don't I don't recognize any of the same faces, so I'll so re it's not repeating. Re revise. Um, but I just I think that the sobriety movement and the movement towards a healthier lifestyle is just far-reaching. You see it in all aspects of life. I mean, there's, you know, it, it, there's a lot of grain bowls out there too that you can get, you know, there's, there's a, you, you can eat healthy, you can be healthy and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not cool anymore. Like for a, for a hot minute, I think it, it as a chef anyway, if you, um, you know, didn't go to strip clubs and, and drink whiskey every night, um, instead of eating dinner, you just weren't part of the team. You weren't part of the club. And I, I think, Thank God that's shifted and it's shifting. Like, I guess we're doing sort of a 180 now where it's like, if you don't wake up and do yoga and drink a green juice, you're not in the club. So, I mean, I, I think that there's, a, there's room for a middle ground there. Did you have a hard time changing in your own life from the, no. Not at all. I did not have a hard time ending the nights of uh, strip club and whiskey for dinner. I, I really, um, it's, I think that, that the restaurant business itself, it's like um, it's like anything. When you open something in the beginning, it's really crazy. It's intense. It's probably a lot like having a baby, or I could actually say it is because I have a baby too. <laughs> I shouldn't forget about my lovely daughter, August, who just turned 18 and actually works at Portland's hottest new restaurant, Eam. So if you'd like to see her, she buses. She probably busts your table there if you've been there recently. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, but uh, I didn't have a hard time because... I couldn't wait to feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I got it out of my system. I opened the restaurant. It was hard. We worked, you know, ridiculous, like, 100-hour weeks. I lived with my sous chef. We lived two blocks away from the restaurant. We would you stumble home and stumble back, you know, five hours later, essentially. And that was a crazy life. And it got us also where we are now, you know, where it's like we worked hard enough uh, we had to party. It's almost like you had to. We had to party in 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 proportion with kind of how hard we were working. It was like the steam valve release. And at this point now, it's 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 kind of come into a balance point. And I think in general, we're doing that across the industry. Like people are trying to build establishments from the ground up that start out healthy. 
So um, you've been on um, some TV, like yeah. Iron, Iron Chef. Iron Chef. Um, I did a season of Top Chef Masters. I've judged a few yeah. um, Top Chef episodes. I, there's an old um, Esquire network, which I don't think is around anymore, but we did a show called Knife Fight that I was a judge on for a while that was super fun. But I've also read you say that you just, you hate fame. Like, you don't. Yeah. I don't hate fame. I mean, I, I, I okay, hope I don't say that I but, hate it. But, yeah. but um, I mean, because that would probably be bad for the brand. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> like kind of, a, that's a pretty important part of, of, of what we do and why people know to come to my restaurant. Um, I, I guess what I would say about it really is that actually what I don't like about it is um, sometimes I feel like I, I like these real conversations and sometimes it's hard to be out in the community having people feel like they already know you as yeah. a character from a television show. Yeah. You know, when you realize that those things are highly edited, um, they're trying to make great TV. And so, you know, and if you come across as being kind of a, an ass kicker or kind of a, a snappy one, like I tend to come across as, <laughs> and sometimes people think they already know you or they have an idea about who you are. And I think that if people spent more time getting to know me, they'd find me to just be a pretty chill, like really down to earth, like fun person to be around. And, and I, I like actually to take the time to truly get to know people rather than having those things in the way. So let's talk about beast. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read that you've said that like everything that you've done there you did out of necessity, like the space told you. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, sometimes I think I, I love to tell the story about Beast because people think of it, you know, obviously I think I think as a flagship restaurant of, of Portland dining scene and and um, that it was built out of necessity in a way. I mean, um, I didn't actually go into it thinking, you know, I want to create like an expensive six course tasting menu. Um, it wasn't that. I had I was presented with a space that's 800 square feet, um, and that, yes, it's 800 square feet, including the bathroom and the prep in area in the back. Wow. Um, we actually built out the back side of the restaurant so that we have like uh, like a sort of a shed thing out there. I like to say that we made uh, a Pinto into a Porsche. That's <laughs> what I like to you know. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, it's very small, but but we we actually didn't. Um, even do the family style seating, the big long tables. We didn't do that because like, I have some theory about how cool it is to sit and eat together, although I do think that is important. Um, that was done because the space is tiny, and if we had a bunch of two tops in there of people ordering a la carte menu items, um, this is Portland, home of the $7 burrito, and that's changing, but I like to make that joke. Um, they, <laughs> Basically, you know, people, the math wouldn't have worked out. Like, you, we wouldn't still be open if it didn't cost $100 to eat dinner there because we just had to do it that way because of the space. And so, yes, I really, I don't like to, I'm not a person when I think of projects, like, I have an idea for a project, I'm going to go out and figure out how to do it. I'm a person that gets presented with things, they come across my path, and then I think, what would be good here? you know, rather than doing the, the reverse. I like to stay open to things rather than sort of putting my imprint on them. And 
actually, that relates a little bit to the way that you like to work with your staff, right? Yeah. And that's changed over time. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't know how much it's changed. I think Beast started out really collaboratively. I, I have to give a shout out to um, my old sous chef, Micah, who if you've ever seen a photo of me back in the day, it was probably with her. Um, she worked for me for seven years at Beast and um, was my right-hand lady. And, you know, out of necessity at that point, everything was collaborative because there were just two of us in the restaurant. I mean, I kid you not, we had no dishwasher, we had no prep cook, and it was the two of us doing dinners there every night, uh, five nights a week for the first year that we were open. We didn't have anybody working with us. We had, we had servers, but we didn't even have, they, we would all take turns washing the dishes. So, I mean, it wasn't glamorous in the beginning. It was fun, but um, it, it, it was a collaborative experience, and by necessity, my stuff has to be collaborative because if you return back to what I told you earlier, I'm totally self-taught, which means I have a lot of holes in what I know and don't know. I mean, as anybody does. But I have always relied heavily in, on other people around me and what are they good at. So, you know, I've got a guy that works for me that used to cut a lot of sushi. So when we have to do fish butchery, he's the person that does that. I'll be the first person in the room to stand up and say, I don't know that much about fish. Because when I opened Beast, I thought, oh, we have to have like meat and you know heavy food and stuff like that. That's also a myth while I'm on the radio. I would love to dispel. Um, Beast is not a place where you're going to, first of all, just have to eat whatever we give you because we take dietary restrictions now too. L lots has changed in the, in the past 12 years that we've been open. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, it's not super meat heavy, so I'd like to dispel that myth as well. But ultimately, the, I think the food is best and the experience of working there is best when everyone is contributing. So, you know, even when I'm writing the menus, like yesterday, I have to write a new menu for next week. I asked everybody as we were sitting around the, the prep table prepping, I said, what do you guys want to cook next week? You know, so I don't like to do a top down mentality. I think that's part of the sort of sickness of the industry itself. I think that um, I enjoy everybody's individual talents and skills. And I find that the happiness level of my staff increases a lot when they feel, you know, like they're contributing. And I think that's true, like in any industry, yeah. any business at all, right? Yeah. Like if you feel like someone's listening to you and you actually had input and you're included, it's so much better. It feels good and the food's better. Everything's better. Everything's better. Yeah, totally. So um, you, your husband opened the bar. Yeah. And that's in part, I love the hospitality story. Like these people, because traffic got so tricky in Portland, people would arrive really early. Yes. And you're like, yeah. oh no, what are you doing here? And when it, was you want your it was funny. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we opened Expatriate for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, um, Kyle, my husband, is an incredible bartender. That's how I met him. Um, and, and then it was like we were looking for a space. And it was just kismet. You know, I, I looked out the window one day and I saw um, the woman that owned the hair salon next door just uh, packing up her car. And I ran outside and I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm, my lease is up and I'm not renewing it. And I was, well, what's the landlord's phone number here? I got to give him a call. <laughs> so, you know, it was like a one day deal. It happened Amazing. really quickly. Um, but it's been really great because, like Dana was saying, I when we first opened 12 years ago, people used to call, you know, we have a lot of um, travelers that come into the restaurant from, you know, God, across the world now. It's awesome. Um, but, you know, when they come, I used to say, uh, when I would answer the phone, you know, while I was grinding meat with one hand and answering the telephone and taking reservations with the other hand, one time I fell off 
the um, I was standing on the stool and because I, I needed a little bit of leverage to, to push the meat grinder down and I was answering the phone with one ear and putting my ear to my shoulder pushing the meat grinder down and I fell off the <laughs> I fell off my stool while I was taking a reservation um, that's when I had to hire a reservationist um, but no I used to tell people that it took 15 minutes to get to Beast from downtown if that, that gives you some perspective on how long the restaurant's been open because now when people call I have to tell them that it could be up to 45 minutes to an hour depending on where they're coming from and so because of that people started arriving um, really early for their reservations because if there if there isn't traffic and they plan for an hour they're coming at 515 and I'm like uh, you don't I can't really open my door because I mean at five let me be honest at 515 we're still you know chopping stuff and you know scooting around and cleaning stuff and making it look pretty in there <laughs> and so I couldn't op open the door for people so it's been really nice to have a place for them to go um, where I can also frankly capture some revenue instead of sending them to um, some dive bar in Alberta, right? So it's been great um, and really good for the brand. And and my husband is passionate about um, hospitality in a, in a way that even beyond what I am in a way, I mean, he's just such a caretaker. So um, his name's Kyle Linden Webster and he does all the cocktails at Expatriate. And yeah, and we have a flower shop too. I was, gonna, I was getting to that because there's so many ways in which you've grown and changed. I mean, the... Um I, maybe the space at Beast is the same, but the menus evolved so much, and the number of staff you have has evolved, and your philosophies evolved, yeah. like all those things. And and then you add the bar because you know the passion of Kyle. But then there's a flower shop. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. Does it speak to your like desire to um, just be creative in yet another way? Or like, what? How did you decide to open the flower shop? Well, again. I think I've. I think you guys know me by now, and I, I told you that the, it's a, always a kismet thing for me. Like I don't. I didn't like plant a flag and say like I can't wait to open a flower shop someday. Um, but I am really really passionate about um, floral design, and my my. I don't know. My dad's a jeweler, um, and so just sort of like attention to detail is something that really runs in the family, and I feel like um, flowers are just so close to. I mean. I, I know a lot of, you know, when you guys interviewed me for, for our Best New Chef in 2009, uh -huh. when you were at Food & Wine, um, one of, Kate Crater asked a series of questions of all the Best New Chefs, and I think she said, like, what would you be if you um, weren't a chef? She asked all of us. And both me and Vinny DiTolo said that we'd be, like, uh, florists or botanists. So, you know... Vinny DiTolo is from Animal and um, Son of a Gun and, and, uh, in L.A., sorry. Um, and John and Vinny's now. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think it's a common love affair. It's, it's, flowers are seasonal. Um, they grow in the earth. They grow in the earth. Right um, next to vegetables, perhaps. Farmers grow them. <laughs> I have a lot of local people who um, bring me flowers. I'm some of the same people who bring me produce, um, bring me flowers at the flower shop. And the, it's textural. And it's, but here's the difference, okay? It's mellow. <laughs> you know? I don't believe anything you do would be mellow. How mellow is it? It's mellow. Okay. Yeah, it's really like, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot. Of, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's, the funny thing about it is it's also similar to food because it's not a huge revenue generator and it's very perishable. So yeah. it's kind of ironic that I chose yet another thing where I'm not going to get rich. And it's the reverse, though, except because you have to wake up at like 5 a.m. 
to go to the flower market instead of... So I'll be honest. I opened it. I got it off uh, the ground. I found an incredible partner. Um, Her name's Bianca. She is an artist and, you know, used to be in a punk band and she's really like a famous one. She's really badass and she um, is really taking that over so I don't actually have to go and like make every arrangement that comes out of there um, did, you, did you ever? I mean did you yeah. when it began? Yeah in the beginning you? I was doing all of it Wow. And that, but that was also a product of the fact that at that point I had a chef to cuisine that I had hired at Beast oh. and so it was a little bit of like um, what, what should I be doing now in my career if I'm not going to be cooking at the restaurant every night um, and then, um, you know, my chef de cuisine, um, he found another, another project, Lucian, he's amazing. He left to go open a new spot. Um, and I was devastated because he was awesome. But then it also gave me this wonderful opportunity to get back into the kitchen because I couldn't find somebody that um, was perfectly suited to the bill. And it had been five years since I had been like wow. the chef de cuisine at Beast. I don't know if you guys exactly know what that means, but I, it's kind of, these are interesting terms, right? But really what it means is that I, I wasn't writing every single menu and, and planning every single dish and meal and telling all the staff and writing all the recipes anymore. Because um, I had done that for seven years, every day for seven years. And I guess I needed a break, but, but when Lucian left, I, I kind of transferred over the flower shop responsibilities to Bianca. And I went back to being in the kitchen every day. And I will tell you what, I have not been happier in a really long time. So I'm really glad the flower shop exists. I think it's an incredible part of the brand. I'm really proud of the work that we do there. We have a stand at the Woodlark Hotel too, and um, my flower shop's on 14th and Prescott. It's called Calibri. But, you know, I also am back into doing, I, I found my passion back for, back in the kitchen again and, and go, having to go back and start writing the menus and go to the farmer's market. You, you'll see me there. I go to the farmer's market every Saturday, write every menu, train every new staff member, write all the recipes, and I am like in heaven. Wow. So yeah. where do you find your creativity now? Well, I don't think it ever left. I mean, I, I or where do, where do I source my creativity? I feel like, I mean, everywhere. But I, I always... People often ask me like what inspires the the menus, uh-huh. um, and I and I feel like it just kind of this is a stupid answer, but I feel like it just kind of comes through me. I almost feel like more like I'm just channeling something that already exists. I don't I don't feel like I ever have to work very much at it, to be honest. It just every we change the menu at Beast every two weeks, and if I think if you spend enough time um, looking at farm lists and going to the farmers market. And I, I was also born, I mean, it helps that I was born in Corvallis, which is an hour and a half south of here. And I've, my family is a cooking family. So I have a lot of, and I've read a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> so I, I have a lot of background in, I think, what, what tastes delicious and what's in season right now. And so for me, it's almost more restrictive. Like, I'd like to make twice as many menus as I do, wow. <laughs> to be honest. And so... Is there any project that you have in your mind's eye for the future? I mean, now you're quite consumed, right? You have your sort of back in it completely at Beast, and you've 
offloaded the. Um, I mean, not offloaded. But yeah, I think that's. I think it's fair to say that. I mean, yeah. I, I've I've retained Calibria as part of the brand, but I don't have to be there every day. Um, I, as far as any future projects, um, I don't have a specific exact project in mind that I could really talk about right now. But um, oh, but doesn't that sound like she has one? Maybe. Um, it could happen. I know. Okay. Um, no, I mean, um, but a long term goal that like Kyle and I talk about because we're both really interested in hospitality and um, I don't attention to detail really mm -hmm. at the, ultimately I think that's the thing that connects us the most is that we both love the little details of things if you've been an expat you can you can see it in there because he's got like vintage books and you know gold silverware and it's just there's a lot of design that goes into it and I feel like um, it, eventually, I, I wouldn't mind having um, that hospitality aspect extended so that we could maybe do some sort of a hotel project or uh -huh. something like that, you know? Like, if, I mean, in another country, maybe even, you know? Sure. Like, if I, maybe if I could just, like, I would move to Portugal or Japan. That's basically, that's what I have to say about that. I love, I love traveling, and I'm so fortunate um, to be able to do stuff with that. I don't know if you know this, but I teach a cooking class in Tuscany every summer. Wow. Um, I see you took, you're take, you were taking people on a tour somewhere. Of Japan. Of Japan, yeah. With a company locally called Modern Adventure. Um, hopefully you guys have heard of them. If not, you should look them up. They're um, an incredible company that's taking, you know, chefs and winemakers and, um, you know, health aficionados and different different kind of influencer type people um, on trips, basically wherever you want to go. Um, and you should look them up because you could probably find a trip that you would really want to go on. I'm sorry to say that this year my Japan trip is already full. It's in November, um, and I'll be taking people on a culinary tour of Japan for seven days. Oh, fantastic. And that, that was my dream design. I got to design the whole thing. And um, so hopefully we'll do it again, and you guys can keep your eyes out for that. And um, let's leave people with, with one cookbook, because you, to uh, buy, to explore, or a oh, res yeah. restaurant in um, Portland that they might not have heard about, because you're an expert in so many areas, but certainly those two. So you want a cookbook in a restaurant? I do. Okay, that's pretty, I think that's really easy. <laughs> no, I can, coming up with one is super hard, yeah. but I'll keep it short, because I'm sure we're running out of time. We are. Um, I think... I think that um, Judy Rogers' um, Zuni Cafe cookbook um, is maybe, the, to me, the most important um, because of the conversational tone. I think that she, um, I just, man, she was awesome. You know, she really changed things for people, and I think in particular she does a great job of translating um, restaurant world food into food that people are able to make at home, which was my goal for my book also. Um, and as far as like one restaurant in Portland, oh, this one scares me so badly because I just, I know so many people here and I love so many people here. Um, and so I'd want to give maybe something that was more um, slightly off the beaten path of, in terms of like what you read about and hear about all the time. That would be, yes. Yeah. I have this obsession of... Um, recommending things that aren't on a list. You Me know, too. Like everybody travels and they're like, I got my list. I'm like, I just don't want your list at all. No, and then it just keeps making everyone go to the same places. I know, and, it's really And one thing that it causes too, just, just so you know, is that you got to go back to the old places that you really like too. Because if exactly. you don't do that and you only go to all the new places, um, 
Congratulations on Restaurant of the Year, Eric. <laughs> Eric is in the Hi, audience Eric. from Eam, and he has oh an incredible God. new restaurant, which I'm sure that you you will go to. That's the one that I told you my daughter works at now. Um, but as far as things that um, you've got to go back to the old restaurants you like, too, because they won't stay in business if you don't. And then also, I do want to say that one that I don't read about as much as I'd like to is Davenport. Um, and I think that um, that's a really awesome place. Um, Kevin Gibson is an incredible chef. That um, He started Castagna, and then he went on and had that little count lunch counter Evo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, he's just, his, his restraint and his use of ingredients is really beautiful. And he's not a list guy. Like, I think even if you put him on a list, he might be like, I don't want to be on your list, you know. <laughs> um, but he's, he's great, and I like that place a lot. That's awesome. Okay, well, thank you guys for, for listening um, to Heritage Radio Network on tour, presented by Le Creuset. Thanks again to our sponsors, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage here possible. I'm Dana Cowan. Stay tuned for more from Feast Portland. Woo! This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.